amen, amen. Go ahead and give it up for the green suit. Um, no, just kidding, just kidding. I've got a, I got a way that I like to start out, but I mean, my goodness, Jesus is so good. I mean, I can't get away from it. I can't get away of just, just how good that he is to each and every one of us. And for those that are just came up for miracles, I, I just, I firmly believe that we're going to see it. We're going to see it. Like that's just, and like I said, if we pray every single Sunday, every time we have worship that we pray for it and believe it, I, if that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do it. But, but Julie, well, I mean, we are going to see total, not just a good day and then another good day and then maybe more good days than, you know, bad days. And I mean, just total, total healing. Gideon, uh, Indy, I mean, we're just, I just believe. Um, and that's not what even I'm talking about. So uh, it, it, is, it is just so amazing. You, you take two large pieces of the puzzle out and Pastor Kelly and Pastor Bob, but it was built on more than them. It was built on the presence of God. And he can just show up and just do amazing things. So, Holy Spirit's just navigating all through here this morning. And, uh, man, God is so good. Uh, he has moved, and I uh, just believe he's going to continue to move. So, And that's, I, want, I want worship to be like that every Sunday. I don't want that to be the abnorm. I just want to just take time for Holy Spirit, to him to just to speak, to heal, to just do incredible things. And... Uh, Again, I don't believe he's done. When the, when the piano stops, we're just like, all right, Holy Spirit left, you know, with the music. No, he's still here. And now, uh, and this is the way I like to think, like, we're kind of plowing the garden there. We were just prepping the soil, prepping the ground right there, bringing in Jesus, bringing in his presence. And then, of course, his word, though. His word is what inspires real change, and uh, it delivers the truth. And then just to keep on going on the tangent, just what an incredible opportunity it is to watch. It's not like a proud dad because I'm the youngest one on staff, but it's like just, it's just so cool. I mean, watching my wife get up here and just absolutely just knock it out of the ballpark. And again, like, I mean, open up with haymakers right there and then goes on to Pastor Casey, one of my best friends, uh, just continuing on. And then Pastor Austin, Austin and I grew up together in this church um, Jeff and Wendy were our youth pastors, and then they stayed with us and, and moved up to our uh, youth pastors. They're our children's pastors, and then moved up with us to our youth pastors. So it was just like, I mean, there's just so much uh, joy that I get from this and so much fulfillment. So I know if you're new here, this is, this is really, really a place to call home. I mean, it really is a church to call home because you, can't, you just can't get out of, of, of being a part of the family. Like, you just can't get away from it you're going to be involved in this family. So, yes, my name is Pastor Ben. My wife and I are student pastors here. Uh, I'm going to be speaking today. Next week, uh, Pastor Bob is going to be wrapping up the series. He is away on a much, much needed vacation this week, uh, even though he was like, you call me. I will be up Sunday morning. You call me if there's any issues. And I said, Bob, I guarantee you I'm not going to call you. Like, we could not have church before I called you, okay? It's like, we could shut, we could turn the power off, go outside, and play with an acoustic guitar before I give you a call on your vacation, Bob. Like, I'm not doing it. But again, that's just, how, that's just the commitment level there. Um, so we're praying that he can actually take a vacation, that he can leave physically and mentally for a little while and come back refreshed, and hopefully he wears a suit, because that's the new trend, all right? I'm really excited 
that we don't have to wear a suit every Sunday because this was exhausting, okay? <laughs> Absolutely exhausting. But guys, let's dive in this morning. If I told you the truth this morning, would you believe it? Rhetorical question, but if I told you the truth this morning, would you believe it? Now, this can easily go from a simple yes or no answer to a full-on philosophical debate. I mean, the question, if you believe truth, should be a no-brainer. Like, of course it's the truth. We're not going to believe in a lie, because if we believe in a lie, then we're going to be wrong. I do not like to be wrong. I really, really enjoy being right. So I want to believe in the truth. So I don't necessarily, the belief is, the problem is in the belief. The issue comes into play when we don't know what truth is. This problem is growing more and more in our world today, and we can't just as a church just look out and point at culture and say, you guys don't know what the truth is, because unfortunately I don't think a lot of the church is confident in what the truth is. So we have to ask the question, what is truth? What is truth? Is it as simple as whatever the facts are? If you find the facts, here's all the evidence, this is it, this is the truth. This is the truth we're going to stand on, that's it. Uh, as recently proposed and getting more and more common, can truth be a relative term? Relative to something. So from there, we get the truth, and then that means that uh, we might not have the same terms that we're being relative to, so then your truth can be different from my truth. Can more than one thing be true at a time? What is truth? We act like this is a, a, an ongoing issue, and it's grown to be more and more of an issue, but this issue and this question has been raised for a very, very long time. Even Pilate in John chapter 18 asked this question. In John chapter 18, Pilate is trying to figure out what in the world is going on. He's got this angry mob outside that's in absolute frenzy that he's losing control of, and they're chanting, uh, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. That's the only thing at that time that's going to make them happy. And Jesus has already been bounced around from different political figures. Uh, he's been bounced around. It's just like this ongoing trial, and Jesus is getting sent over to this governor, and then he's getting sent to this governor, and then to this judge and this leader. He's getting moved all around, and, and honestly... It's more so they're just trying to wipe their hands of it. They're just trying to just stay, stay away, like put the blame on someone else. I'm glad political leaders don't do that anymore. They just did that then. But uh, that was a joke. Okay, goodness gracious. This is like 9 a.m. all over again. My goodness. Uh, no. So they're just really just trying to put the blame on someone else. They're trying to just kind of wash their hands of it, not be a part of it, and they keep bouncing around. But on top of that, they're trying to find out what the truth is. They're, they're in search for a truth. This is an ongoing investigation. Anybody like the crime mysteries or the crime stories? Yeah. I'll be talking to Pastor Casey, and I'll be like, man, I listened to this powerful message. Like, this sermon was just spot on. And then he's like, yeah, I, I listened to this guy. It's like this brother who killed his dad, and then he's like hiding the body or something, the mystery. And I was just like, okay, two totally different stories. But we do love a good mystery, right? A good mystery, just in search of the truth, trying to figure out what the truth is. And that's what Pilate is doing. Pilate is interrogating Jesus to find out what the truth is, why this crowd is in such a frenzy, and why he deserves to be crucified. So we start reading in John chapter 18, verse 37. Then Pilate responded, Oh, so then you are a king? You are right, Jesus said. 
I was born a king, and I've come into this world to prove what truth really is. And everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. Verse 38, Pilate looked at Jesus, and he replied, what is truth? Yeah, there we go. Verse 38, Pilate looked at Jesus, and he said, what is truth? That same question. Uh, This can actually be translated to who is truth. So he said, what is truth? As silence filled the room, Pilate went back out to where the Jewish leaders were waiting and said to them, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. You got to just ask yourself, you know, why didn't Jesus begin to defend himself? It said silence filled the room. That's a perfect opportunity for Jesus to start presenting his case, right? Like, it's just a perfect opportunity. But look at Pilate's response as silence filled the room and Pilate paused. It's amazing what Jesus can say with silence. It's amazing what Jesus can say with just a pause. Have you ever lost something only to find it in like the most obvious place that it is? Like someone talking to you on the phone saying, hey, hold on one second, I can't find my phone. Talking on it the entire time? Yes? Don't raise your hand. It's embarrassing. I think we've all done it at some point in time. Uh, Anyone wear glasses and you're like looking for your glasses, but thankfully I can see really well because I have my glasses on right now while I'm looking for my glasses, like in the most obvious place. Dad and I have this friend that uh, he, he works on cars. Uh, he, he like rebuilds cars and then he gets these really cheap like reading glasses, but then we'll go into a shop and he'll have like reading glasses right here, right here on his forehead and then a pair on. And he forgets that he's wearing them. He keeps just sliding up like a Rolodex, just like <laughs> plop, 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 like. Whole, like, whole lineup of glasses on top of his head. He was wearing the glasses the whole time. They were right in front of him, and he couldn't even see it. This is one of those moments for Pilate. Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't defend himself, because I believe in that moment. Now, you, you got to go with me a little bit, because I can't really back this up any more than the, the little I have here. But I believe in that moment that Pilate asked what truth was, only to realize that truth was staring him right in the face. Truth was staring him right in the face. He had been interrogating truth. He had been questioning truth. Because you see, God is truth. God is truth. That's why Pilate couldn't find a lie. That's why he couldn't find a lie. He couldn't catch Jesus up in any of his story. He couldn't find any type of corruption. Uh, He couldn't find any type of, you know, even anything unethical uh, where it's tiptoeing the line because this was truth. More than a truth, more than my truth or his or her truth, it was the truth. It's so amazing to watch this interaction because truth doesn't have to keep its story straight. Truth doesn't have to keep its story straight. You and I sometimes, even when we're in the right, we might just be like, well, what did I say to this person so I can say the same thing to this person to you know, continue to control the narrative, to, to not get my words mixed up? No, truth doesn't have to do that. It doesn't have to have any colorful language in to get its point across. Again, it doesn't have to exaggerate, or as my family says, story enhancers. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to do any of that to control the narrative because it is truth, and God is truth. Pastor Casey spoke two weeks ago about the law. Uh, And look at, if you could pull that up for me, baby, John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John didn't say that Jesus came in and, and erased the law, just like Pastor Casey was speaking, but he didn't come in just erase the law, he fulfilled the law. The law came through Moses, but then Jesus gave grace and became truth. 
He became truth for us, so we have that constant in our lives. And uh, look over at Psalm chapter 119. I challenged the youth, uh, was making a deal with the youth about reading one chapter in their Bible, and then I tricked them. I made them read Psalm 119 because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's like, gotcha. Enjoy all 176 verses of it. You're going to love it. And it is amazing. Uh, this is chapter 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. I love that because we know that God is the law, and now we know that God is truth. God is truth. I know I keep saying it over and over again, and hopefully it makes more sense. You ever hear someone say that God is love? It's not that he just loves. It, 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 you know, it's not like it's just like a characteristic that he has, an attribute. He's really good at loving, that he is love. I love that. And I don't really understand what it means fully. I'm not going to lie to you. We're just like, God is love. I'm just like, I see like a picture, just love spelled out. Like, okay, that's what he looks like. He is love. But again, like we just say that and, and, and it's so hard to grasp. It's so hard for me to grasp for sure to say that God is love. It's not just that he loves, that he is love. And again, it's another hard concept for me to grasp that God is truth. It's not that he just speaks the truth, that he tells the truth, that his word is truth, that he is the truth. I found this truth earlier in the Gospel of John as well. Uh, I had the opportunity of speaking at my first funeral back in June. I say opportunity with quotations. That's what you say when you're just like, I was really reluctant to do something, but I'm being disciplined and saying, God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to serve in the nursery. What an opportunity it is with crying babies everywhere, and it smells horrible. It's always hot in that nursery. I have no idea why, but it is the right type of muggy 90 degrees in there, and it's awful. But, hey, we need nursery volunteers. It's really great. You're going to love it. It's an opportunity, okay? Another opportunity. So I had this opportunity, and truthfully, this is, uh, this is where a lot of this message was inspired from this. And uh, so I, I've preached to you guys, our congregation. I've, I've preached to y'all several times. I still get a little nervous, but I, I really love it. I've officiated two weddings. Those were really, really cool, but the funeral was a first. Uh, I, don't really, I didn't really know them that well. Uh, it, was, it was a part of Amanda's family, and uh, to, to, to be bluntly honest, I wasn't really sure of his salvation status. I, I wasn't really sure. Like I said, I hadn't been around him very, uh, very much, and uh, if we're honest, when people pass, we, we can really, really tend to patronize that person and, you know, just only remember the good, and, and it's good to re- pay that respect to them, but we have to remember that we're all still human. When I pass away, I want you to remember the good, but acknowledge that there was a lot of uh, failures and flaws that I still had. So again, I didn't want to just, you know, get up there and be like, he was an okay person, and he did things, you know. I, I, I wanted to pay my respect to him, but still, you know, just kind of balance this line. And I, and I was honestly just, just total panic trying to figure out what to say at this funeral. So I'm praying and I'm reading and uh, just trying to figure out what to say to the family that had experienced this loss. And while praying, uh, I came across John chapter 14, verse 6, a, a verse I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. This verse, he says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That, that verse. And uh, we're going to focus in on that first line. But at, at this moment in John, Jesus is preparing the hearts of his disciples for what's to come. Uh, he, he's taking very intimate time. This is four chapters before the interrogation the, the, where he's on trial with Pilate. That's just a little bit four. So all these things are about to transpire. Jesus is totally aware of this. So then he's trying to communicate to his disciples. And, and it's so cool. Like He takes this very, very intimate, very intentional time to build them up. 
to encourage them, to let them know, to, to not worry that there's going to be some things happen and they're really going to, really going to begin to doubt like in him and in God and all this, um, but to, to stay strong in it and, again, to be uh, courageous in this moment. Like I said, it's four chapters before that conversation with Pilate, and uh, Jesus starts out in verse 1 with really, really great advice. Let not your hearts be troubled. Fantastic advice, kind of hard to follow, though, all right? You can tell me not to be afraid, but if there's something that looks scary, I'm probably going to be afraid, all right? You can tell me not to worry when I get a bad doctor's report, when I'm still not seeing the healing that I wanted to see, but honestly, it's starting to make me worried a little bit. You can tell me not to be anxious for something um, that, you know, might bring us anxiety or, or be depressed by, you know, whatever it is, whatever's getting thrown at us. It's great advice, but it's really, really hard to follow. Like, I can't just come in here and, like, say, don't be afraid, you know, don't be discouraged, let not your hearts be troubled and dismiss, and all of us are going to be like, that was really, really cool, and I would love to apply that to my life, but I need more practical steps. So thankfully, Jesus goes on. He starts out with that, but then he explains why that we don't have to give into a fear and a reason that we can have peace. And this all translates again. He is speaking to his disciples, but at the same time giving children, uh, giving his children advice. Again, Jesus is very intentional with his words. We don't have to be afraid because we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is preparing a place for us to reside with him forever. That's what he was explaining to his disciples, that he is going, that he, is, he has to step away from them a moment to clear a path for us, and that he is making a way. And then, yeah, and then Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. So the first thing that we can gather and we can take notes from is Jesus is the way. Period. Point blank. Jesus is the way. We got any Mandalorian fans in here? Yeah? Who's a nerd? Be proud to be a nerd, all right? Anytime I, when I was watching that, they're like, this is the way. I'm like, no, Jesus is the way. You got it wrong, Disney. Uh, no, Jesus is the way. Like, I honestly, I think I screamed that at the TV when I was watching it. Uh, Disney got it wrong. Jesus is the way. And to think about it, this might be Jesus' greatest role. It's, it's nearly impossible to measure the level of importance of what all that Jesus did in, in his time on earth and, and what all that he still does today. But Jesus came to be the way, it, it, to be a bridge to God the Father, a divide that was impossible for us to conquer, but that was his specific mission. Of course, he did so much more. Like I said, I mean, he, he brought healings that, you know, he would interact with people that were seen unclean and, and, and you know, rejected by society. He loved to hang out with the misfits. Uh, again, he loved to perform miracles. There was no one that came into contact with Jesus that needed a physical, heal, physical healing that did not get one. So he did all these amazing things, and he made, you know, just, again, he just brought life and joy wherever he went. Uh, he, he did all this stuff, setting people free uh, that were demon-possessed. Just, again, amazing stuff. But he, somehow he was still able to do all that and stay focused on his mission. Stay focused on his task that he was there to do, to die for our sins, to clear a path, to make a way to the Father. And again, now that he is the way. And, and it's really, if you can just picture this in my mind with me, he didn't just make a way for the next man. He didn't just go through like with a machete and, you know, 
on this you know, adventure, made a path and be like, it should be clear for you guys now. He literally stands in the divide between us and God, and he says, here, take my hand. I'm going to stay with you right here. I'm going to be the bridge to you that connects you to the heart of the Father, what you were designed to do, the connection that we were all designed to have to be connected to the heart of the Father. He stands in the gap right now. He stands in the divide. He didn't just leave it for the next man. He didn't just set us up for success. No, he still stays right there with us in the bridge, making a way for us to the Father. Amen? Thank you. I had a little pause for people shouting and throwing things, because it's going to be amazing. It's going to go all out. Continuing on with that verse, Jesus is the life. If you like to go in order and this is freaking you out, sorry. It'll all tie in later. Be chill. Jesus is the life. He is life. Uh, the Greek translation here is Zoe, and it actually means every living thing. Every living thing. It is, it, it is all just, it, it, life springs from Jesus Christ himself. And I love that for so many of you that this is your testimony. I don't, I don't have to get up here and preach this and shout this, that Jesus is the life, because you know this from experience. You've seen, him, you've, you've, you've seen him resurrect, you know, your own self. You've seen him bring a dead body back to life yourself. You already know this from experience. You've seen dead things come back to life because we ourselves have been revived by him. Listen, I'm going to go on another tangent. I really, like, I, I really want to be a part of an actual resurrection, like a, a physical resurrection. I want, I want to see someone that was pronounced dead that was not supposed to be, and, and, and we pray over them, and, and they actually come back to life. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of such a crazy miracle like someone resurrecting from the dead. That's like, I feel like you can't measure miracles, but I mean, if God heals, heals a cold and then resurrects somebody, I feel like that's going to be a pretty sweet miracle, okay? Like that's going to be up there for me. Give God, give God glory for all of it, whatever. But no, that's going to be right up there at the top. I really, really want to be a part, and I really believe that I'm going to be a part. Maybe not, you know, it comes from my hands, but just, you know, being in the atmosphere of it, being in the environment of it, to get to see just a physical manifestation of Jesus' healing power. I, I, I so desire to be a part of that. But a little bit more than that, I really want us to start acknowledging the resurrections that he's doing every single Sunday. Every Sunday, he is, dead people are walking in here every Sunday, and he is reviving them like that. So many resurrections that we've got to be a part of. Even Jesus, when he healed people on earth, a lot of people would come to him, you know, want this physical healing, and he would heal them, and then he would say, now I'm, I'm going to perform a miracle. Now I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to heal your heart. I'm going to forgive you of your sins, all right? Because doctors, they might can do this healing, and I can do that, and it's easy, but no one can, can give you eternal life. No one can save you from your sins. No one can do that except him. He has resurrecting power that we are getting to be a part of every Sunday. And we have to start uh, just, again, just acknowledging that, being more aware of those resurrections that we're seeing uh, just, again, Sunday in and Sunday out. And the middle part of that and the last part, Jesus is the truth. Or God is the truth. Like I said, this was where this message was, was actually inspired from. And uh, when I was preparing for that funeral, this is the part that I, I just had to sit. And I'd like to say that God was just giving me, you know, all kinds of stuff to say right then. He was, he, what he was giving me was he was telling me to stop. 
That's what he told me. He told me to stop right there, and I knew that there was, this was something that I needed to meditate on, that God was wanting to speak more through me, but unfortunately, just instead of just giving it all to me then, he told me to stop, and, and I just, you know, Holy Spirit, sometimes he'll like make my eyes lock in on something in Scripture, and that's what it was. Uh, I just had to meditate on this truth that he is the truth. I had to just really pause and continue to read that. And again, not just that he tells the truth, that he is the truth. I was just so fascinated by that. I couldn't get away from it. And when preparing to preach for the funeral, I was reading in the Passion Translation. It's got these little footnotes in it. So I was clicking on the footnote, and the Greek for truth is aletheia, basically translating to true reality. And one way that it was translated was the truest reality. Jesus is the truest reality. I love the overstatement there. I, I love that overstatement. You know, it, it's true reality that we're in service today. Uh, it, it's not a dream. Amanda thought it was a dream. She seen me up here in the green suit. No, kidding. Uh, it's like Pastor Kelly never left, huh? Horrible jokes all around. Oh, crap, we are alive right now. I am sorry. Uh, but anyways, no, it is a true reality. It, it, is, it is not a dream. This is actually... It's just a true that we're all meeting in here together, that I'm speaking to you. That is a true reality. But somehow even more factual, more true than that reality, Jesus is, is, is more true. He, 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 there isn't anything more true or more real than Jesus. There's nothing more true or more real than Jesus. He is the truest reality. If I could go ahead and get Bubba to come on up. I'm going to begin closing. Uh, my brother and I are part-time conspiracy theorists. Listen, you can't go full-time, all right? If you go full-time conspiracy theorist, you will not have any friends. The few people that you hang out with will 100% talk about you behind your back and talk about how crazy you are. Uh, so you cannot be full-time with it, okay? You have to only be part-time conspiracy theorist. Honestly, I just view them as, as entertainment. As one would watch a stand-up sketch or just watch, you know, a, an episode or something, Stranger Things, whatever it is, to be entertained, uh, I hear a good conspiracy theory, and I'm really, really entertained about it. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I don't go home and put aluminum foil on the kids' heads so the government doesn't control them, okay? Like, <laughs> you gotta find you got to find that line, all right? You can't be full-time conspiracy theorist. But uh, my brother, he is much more informed about... Uh, just a crazy amount of stuff than I am uh, in cultural, political, whatever it is, and on the conspiracy theories for sure. He, he is much more, uh, much more informed about him. Part of it's an age. He's like eight years older than me. Um, but a lot of it is just, again, what he is reading and what he's listening to. He's wildly more informed than I am. Um, I just kind of scratched the surface a little bit. Uh, but I was uh, reading like one of my feeds, and uh, I had seen where they started this research, research center up called CERN. Has anyone ever heard of CERN? Yeah, a handful of people. Um, so I'd seen where a couple guys were like, you know, they just started this up. I think it was, I think it was like a few weeks ago I seen it and it had been like two months before that they'd started it up, partially because like they'd just taken a break from the research and then COVID and all that. So it had been shut down for, for some time now. And uh, just a few random guys that I was following talking about it. Uh, if you're not too familiar with it, that's okay. I'm going to give you just a horrible... Uh, description of it, and probably going to just get all kinds of things wrong, but CERN is an acronym. Uh, it's French for the European Council for Nuclear Research, um, 
in French, the acronym actually makes sense. Uh, but it's founded in the early 1950s, and CERN, uh, in a nutshell, has this massive particle accelerator collider, okay? And it does exactly that. It accelerates particles and then collides them smashes particles together, and, and, and they're trying to smash particles together, break them down, and then just record their findings. Uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, upon all this research, though, CERN actually has to be largely accredited uh, to what our modern-day web browsing is. Like, the Internet as we know it would not be the same way without CERN. CERN was trying to do all this research, and then they wanted to get a way to communicate their information across, so they actually helped, like, build the infrastructure of the internet, build the in infrastructure of web browsing before they, uh, you know, started doing uh, their research. So again, it's actually a pretty big deal and it uh, applies to us. And on their homepage, this is not a conspiracy theorist, their mission statement is very clear. At CERN, our work helps uncover what the universe is made of and how it works. Uncover what the universe is made of and how it works. I feel that could be translated to our work helps uncover the truth. I feel like I could translate that to we are in search of the truth. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the truth, how, how all this came about, how all this came about. Honestly, in one part of their uh, experiments, they're actually trying to recreate the Big Bang Theory. They, their theory is, you know, God has nothing to do with creation. Just any deity is not true. They're actually trying to recreate the Big Bang Theory. And once they do that, once they show that they can do that, then, you know, they, everything that they have is, is backed by science. Totally remove faith from the equation, totally remove God from the equation, and, and they're trying to do all this. So why does any of this apply to us? Well, I informed you of all that to share one of their discoveries. Like I said, this is kind of old news, but uh, I'm pretty not up to date on anything that's going on. So uh, in 2012, CERN hit a peak in its research. 2012, CERN hit a peak in its re research. Like I said, I'm going to reduce this down. Just If I don't reduce it down, then I can't really understand it either. So uh, I'm going to, if anyone's like major nerded out by this stuff and highly informed on it, I'm sorry because you're probably like nails on a chalkboard right now for what a horrible description I'm giving of it. But uh, basically, they smashed some particles together till they found the smallest particle possible. Not only completely invisible to the naked eye, but even some, you know, generic microscopes. Like, to say that this was a, a microscopic thing uh, is a little bit of an understatement, all right? This is a, a tiny, tiny, tiny particle. Like I said, in 2012, this was huge news. This was a huge deal for them to be able to break down and be able to trace this particle. This subatomic particle is known as the Higgs boson. Higgs boson, this is named after a scientist that wrote a theory that on a subatomic level, there was something holding everything together. Something that we can't see that there is something holding. Basically, there is a glue holding it all together that we don't fully understand. It can de defy a lot of their current scientific theories, even some scientific laws. This higgs boson subatomic uh, particle that's holding everything together, they nicknamed the God particle. The God particle. How cool is that? It's not clearly, again, it's not clearly stated on what CERN was trying to do, but these scientists are, are trying to find out what the truth is, and they think they're going to find the truth about the Big Bang Theory, and then turns out they actually found the real truth. They found the truth, the truth that there is a God in heaven, and he is holding every single living thing together. 
Some of our greatest scientists in the world, they're, they're, they're wanting to be able to articulate this, and they searched and searched for this truth. And just like us searching for our glasses that are on top of our head or the phone that's in our hand, or just like Pilate, searching for the truth and talking to Jesus, they search for the truth to realize truth is staring them right back in the face. I like to think that God is just patiently waiting. He's just waiting, sitting there, and we can do all that we, uh, we can put our best efforts together. We can try to figure it out, out on our own. And he's such a believer in free will that he's going to let us have free will until he gets right there, and then he's just going to be staring us in the face. It's like, bingo, you discovered the truth. You found the truth because the truth is that God is truth. God is truth. He is the constant. Every, every living thing, every living thing that has breath, that has life, even non-living things, it all stems from God. It all stems from that, that, that point that God is the truth. If you guys go ahead and stand with me.